Hello, and welcome back to The Rewind. I'm Josh, and this is a podcast where I watch a bunch of movies and talk about them with my friends. Today's episode is about both Soul and Wonder Woman 1984, and here to teach me what it means to be alive and a person in the universe is uh, Pixar correspondent Joe Morgan. Joe, thanks for being here. Of course, Josh. And joining me for an animated movie for the first time in, I don't know, it's been a while. I don't know if you've ever done an animated movie with me before. It's Josh Brown. Josh, thanks for being here. Hey, man, you picked the most animated person to be on your show. <laughs> there you go. Well, I was very happy because, I mean, I, I know Josh had expressed some interest in this movie at some point in the past, so I was happy to have him come and join Joe and me. as uh, We're going to start with Soul, and then we'll talk about Wonder Woman 1984. I think uh, Josh might have to leave us a little bit before we finish Wonder Woman 1984, but we'll at least get his initial thoughts on it. But again, we'll start with Soul, which is the newest movie from Pixar. It was released on Disney Plus on Christmas, and the first Pixar movie to have a non-theatrical release though i think a lot of people ended up probably watching uh, onward on on demand because that kind of came out right at the start of the pandemic but this was a, the big release was on disney plus uh so it tells the story of joe gardner a middle school music teacher in new york city who is uh, dreamt of a career in jazz but uh is somewhat satisfied in life by teaching but has always kind of had a little bit thought there was a little bit more out there for him he gets a full-time offer to be a teacher which is a big moment for him as someone that had just been doing it as a part-time gig while he tried to gig for jazz jobs on the side. Uh, but then all of a sudden he gets his uh, big break in jazz, possibly when a former student calls him up and says, hey, do you want to be the pianist tonight for an act for the Dorothea Williams Band, who is a she is a big uh, saxophonist who is uh, voiced by Angela Bassett. He's very happy, and on his way back from getting that job, Joe falls through a manhole and dies. He finds himself in what is called the Great Beyond, about to kind of head to the afterlife. He escapes it into the great before where, you know, recently deceased people can mentor soon to become souls that are about to inhabit bodies and kind of help them find their, you know, learn how to be a person in the world. And uh, he wants to escape from that. And but in the process of doing that, he ends up becoming, you know, attached to a soul called 22, who is voiced by Tina Fey and who doesn't want to go to the real world but decides she can help him uh, get to the real world and bypass having to be a real-world person uh, herself. And I'm saying her, but they're not actually gendered, but they have a voice, and we're going to have to talk about that voice because that's been a a big point of discussion. Uh, But they end up uh, trying to escape back to Earth, and uh, hijinks ensue when Joe ends up inhabiting a cat and 22 ends up inhabiting Joe. Josh, I want to start with you first because I've talked to Joe a ton about Pixar over the last few years, and I'm genuinely curious because I'm sure I've talked to you about Pixar and passing here or there before, but I've never really gotten your big picture feelings on it. I'm sure you've seen yeah. most of the Pixar movies. Yeah, I, I agree. I regret like not waiting two weeks to see Onward on Disney Plus instead of seeing it. <laughs> like, you weren't a fan? No. Yeah. Here's the thing. So I had egg on my face after Onward. So like, you know. After, when the trailer for Onward and they kind of got into like how weird the plot is, like you know that they have like this like third person that is just half of a body tagging along, and I'm like, oh, this one's weird. <laughs> and also, I like the dude who did Monsters University, the most underrated Pixar movie, um, and I was just like, all right, this one's gonna, this one's great. I've talked myself into it. You guys don't know. You guys don't understand. Onward's gonna be the one. And, 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 I, and I didn't really like it. Though people came around to it. And then when Soul popped up, everything I saw about Soul, I'm just like, oh, 
that that's a movie made for me. Yeah, like because you know it's it, you know Pete Doctor, he's hot off the Inside Out. Uh, um, well, before before yeah. you get too into your feelings on Soul, let me ask you. So you're an Inside Out guy, and my question was: as someone that's probably seen most of the Pixar movies, um, maybe all of them, I don't know. Is there a corner of the Pixar universe that you're like, oh, that's my guy? Like, is Pete Doctor your guy? Do you like his movies? Are there a certain type of Pixar movie you find yourself more drawn to? I just want to get an idea of your how you feel about the movies overall, since I never really had a chance to talk to you about it before. Well, like here's the thing: like the only Pixar movies I have not seen are the Cars, <laughs> which I fixed. Joe and I did a podcast on all the Cars movies a couple months ago, so I, I became a completist. So I can tell you, 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 they're they're worth checking out if you get a chance. Oh, okay. You're one of the few people who's ever said that. Hey, I'm not saying they're great, all of them, but like I I I, I, I kind of put them off for a reason, and I I kind of thought, okay, like this isn't so bad when I finally did it, you know. And then the well, other one, <laughs> the other one I need. Too. What was the other um, one? What was the other one you said? Brave. Oh yeah, so you're kind of like me. That's what I was before the. I hadn't seen Brave, Good Dinosaur, and the Cars movie. So Joe and I have since rectified that since quarantine began. More like Meth Dinosaur. But... <laughs> <laughs> um, actually, a Good Dinosaur almost caused like it was for the response. My me not liking the Good Dinosaur cost me a date once. But... Oh man! Wow. <laughs> That's neither here nor there. <laughs> Um, on Pete Doctor, it, it, it's weird because like the pics. So like I think there, there's this period. Like so for me, like like the golden age of Pixar is like 1995 to like 2007, where you know you got the Toy Story, Finding Nemo, Monster Inc., Incredible, like all like five star movies for me, right? Mm-hmm. And then like you get that like I think the post like you know they're like sort of like an independent company like post uh um uh, michael eisner period um and but you know it's still distributed by disney and that's like um like i count ratatouille as part of the golden age for me but you get like the the one two three punch of wally up and toy story three and those three movies like are the ones that i'm like the sums of it are better than the whole or whatever like um like you know wally like it's the most experimental i respect like the first hour and 30 minutes of the movie but when they go to space that's where it kind of loses me up like you know the first 10 minutes are incredible and then like the rest of the movie is a good like you know adventure romp but like it just like i think people like you know you love those like first 10 minutes and then like with toy story 3 i i think like the first hour and a half are just basically a rehash of toy story 2 but like those like final 20 minutes or whatever are are phenomenal. So like those three movies kind of, I think are good, but they kind of leave me cold. And so like, I think like all the Pixar directors, they probably have with the exception of Brad Bird, like one Pixar movie that like, like it, I think it's great, but also one that like left me cold. And so Pete doctor is sort of in that mold where I I love inside out kind of cold on up. Uh, I mean, I still like up. I, let me just be clear on that. Um, but like, what, what was the? But I was so high on Inside Out, and the thing that grabbed me about Soul is like a friend of mine like said like, you know, like in Spider Man Three when like Tobey Maguire like uh, Peter Parker like when he's like captured by Venom or whatever, and so like he's acting out and he's doing like the famous dance number and yeah. like. Peter's that's Peter Parker's conception of what cool is. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. 
made someone said like I think the main character of Soul when we first saw the trailer, um, like you know has like this '60s almost like Greenwich Village like um, jazz thing. And he's like, I think that's your conception. <laughs> cool. And, 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 and like uh, Joe Gardner, like I'm also like a, a teacher as well with like you know higher dreams and stuff like that. So that, that part hit. Clearly and you're and you're you're a substitute teacher for a little while too, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, like, the, 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 this movie was, like, JB bait for, like, <laughs> 30 minutes. But, um, but yeah, like, so, like, uh, well, so, like, so, yeah, so like, you were primed to like it was what you thought. Did it, did, did you think, did that result in a little bit of a letdown because you thought it was so much for you, or did you ultimately really like the movie? I actually did like the movie. I actually did like the movie. Another thing, too, um, that was also going to grab me by it was I saw Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross were doing the score for it. So I was just like, this is going to be the best Pixar movie. <laughs> yeah. So, J- Joe, where did you, what did you ultimately think about Soul? I'm sure, I mean, we've been waiting for it all year uh, and yeah. I'm sure you're really excited about it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Pete Docter, and, you know, like Josh, I am a huge fan of Inside Out. It's my favorite Pixar movie. I just, I went through a complicated childhood move, so that hit close to home for me with that movie and... Yeah, I was really looking forward to Soul, and I think it's fair to say I have, like, a complicated uh, feeling of it. There are elements that, of it that I love, and then there was a couple things with it where, you know, I was a bit uneasy about it. Um, but, like, ultimately, I do like it. Uh, it doesn't—we can get more into the meat of, you know, my feelings about it. But, uh, no, like, ultimately, I enjoyed it. Uh, one thing that, you know, as we made mention of earlier, like, it's the first Pixar movie that— I haven't really seen in the theater and I definitely miss that experience. You know, like I think it's very beneficial to be able to surrender yourself entirely to things like this, uh, like in the theater setting as it is with most movies and um, just being distracted and stuff at home, like was just not a great setting, especially with one of these where there's a lot of um, expositional stuff that you have to kind of get the basis of as you're kind of entering the world. Yeah, I agree with I agree with Joe, and also one thing too, like when I remember like the Pixar movies that like you know I've seen all the Pixar movies except ones that like I probably saw like on VHS as a child, but you know I've seen most of them in the theater. And one thing I remember about like you know seeing Toy Story three or Coco or something like that in in, in the Inside Out as well is that like shared like catharsis that you mm-hmm. all are crying in a the- in a dark theater added this like children's movie you know like there's just there's like i mean like 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 watching like toy story 3 and just seeing the entire theater having the same moment of tears during the incineration scene is you know that is that is something that sort of like pixar movies do probably play better in a in a big screen than at home on christmas on disney plus uh, before i say i'm i can I, I, a question just popped into my head do you th- do you guys think this will make any kids cry at any point. So will, because I mean that's a big thing. Is I think even more so than uh, even more so than just about any Pixar movie. The question's like, is this even a kids movie? Do you think this? Do you think kids are going to have like a big emotional reaction to this movie? I don't think so, or not nearly as as much as they would at a different one. Because um, like, there's the big theory of Inside Out. Like, which part do you cry? Do you cry? Um, like, you know, when, when Bing Bong dies or do you cry when Riley hugs her parents? Like, I cried when Riley hugged her parents, for example. Um, make me feel bad. I cried when Bing Bong. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, like, I did too, but I, I just heard that specifically where um, 
it, yeah, that one hit me a certain way. But um, I did see like a lot of the discourse online that this was this was like the first Pixar movie that felt like it was more targeted at adults than kids. And um, I, I do get where that's coming from. Um, you know, but like at the same time, I say this all the time with the podcast, uh, Josh, it's like I, I don't underestimate kids. Their ability is to understand things. And like I didn't watch it with a young kid. So um, I can't say for sure how they would have reacted to it because, you know, I tend to give kids a lot of credit. I think they sort of have an idea of what's going on more so than we give them credit for. Yeah, I wouldn't dock the movie any points for like just being more aimed toward adults, you know, like I, if, if I watched it with a kid and I saw a kid just like getting a real big kick out of the cat doing funny stuff, then I'd be like, all right, the, the cat did its job because I think that's part of why the mm-hmm. cat's there, even if it seems like the presence of that cat is uh, in how they handle that part of the movie may, may be controversial for some. Uh, I'll, I'll say overall that I, I, I've watched the movie twice now because the first time, as I've already told Josh and Joe, I was kind of distracted by a basketball game that was on a neighboring screen and I thought it deserved my full and undivided attention. So I I watched it again last night, and I definitely think some of it resonated with me more, even if maybe certain parts of it, I'm just like, I still don't know if they totally work for me. I think some of it really did, and I think I got a little in my head because this movie, it really focuses a lot on the functions of this great before and getting people back into their bodies or getting people in a body and what it even means to uh, become a person and whether or not you have to have some kind of spark in your life that is serves as your purpose in life. And I think... All that terminology was a bit much for me when I wasn't giving it my full and undivided attention, and I wasn't really sure what the movie was trying to say about all that. And it becomes more clear on the second viewing to me that, like, oh, like, you know, a purpose and a spark aren't the same thing, but I'm not really sure why the spark was so important in the first place uh, if that if that was the case. But still, there were some movements that, like, really moved me. And because like everyone, it seemed like I saw all these critics like, oh, it's a great movie about what it means to be alive. And I'm like, what the hell does that even mean? You're talking about a Pixar movie. You're talking about a kid's movie here. Like, do I really need to ponder the meaning of life that much? But then I watched it last night and I don't know. I'm not going to say I cried, but the moment that probably the most moved me because there's this moment, there's this moment later in the movie where 22 in Joe's body is like very moved on a street corner, just observing stuff on a street corner. And that's a big turning point in the movie. And I remember that the first time and something I guess I just missed and didn't pay close enough attention to was when uh, a few scenes before that, uh, 22 observes a busker in the subway and kind of has a similar like reaction where it's like really engaged by it and is really taken by it. And as someone that has been to New York City a lot and spent a decent amount of time there for someone that has never lived there, that moment really resonated with me because I've had a couple moments on New York City subways where like things like that are happening or a dance breaks out in a subway car. And it's like, wow, this is like a really unique moment. And I feel really special getting to observe this right now. And I was like, okay, that's like a really cool moment that like that allows you to really be present and I can really connect to this character in that moment. And I was like, oh, I kind of get what this movie is trying to tell me about this like, kind of settling down and enjoying the smaller parts in life as opposed to like, you know, going all in on an obsession. Though I want to talk about what it means to like go all in on an obsession because it, it kind of feels like the movie takes an interesting stance on that. Uh, I don't know what your thoughts on that were, Josh, because I thought about a couple other movies. Ironically enough, I thought about two... I, I thought about both of Damien Chazelle's big movies as I was watching it, and I thought about both Whiplash and I thought about uh, La La Land because at, I know La La Land is a movie that is near and dear to you, Josh. Uh, I believe your number one movie of 2016, if I remember correctly. It, it, it wasn't. It was oh. like, it, here's the thing. I really, I really like La La Land or whatever. It's just like, I guess I'm a vocal La La Land supporter. Because okay. of- <laughs> yeah, it was very divisive. Well, at the, so at the end of it, it all, I, one of the things that always strikes me oddly about La La Land, which I haven't rewatched in a bit, was that at the end, it almost like, 
it almost makes the argument that it feels like it's almost showing those characters not being as happy as you would have thought, given like the success they end up having in life. And it's like, oh, would they have been better off just being together, even if they weren't as successful? Whereas Whiplash at the end takes this stance, and it's kind of funny. Like they both happen to be about jazz, and that's not even why I thought about them in relation to this movie. It's there's all about people chasing their dreams in one way or another. And I feel like Whiplash has a really, which is my favorite movie of 2014, has like this really ambiguous ending where it's like actually just throwing the question in your face, like, hey, this guy might have reached at like a higher place right now kind of the zone like you see in this movie where he's just like going at it at the end when uh when jk simmons is like oh shit i actually got this kid to reach a moment where he is coming in for a one-off performance like joe is at the beginning of this movie and has found a moment and then the movie ends and it's like oh was it worth it like if you work that hard and you get to that point is it actually worth it to like just be so single-mindedly obsessed with something? And I think certain athletes that might have to do that to get to the pinnacle of the profession might think it is. What did you think about how a kid's movie, what's, what's ostensibly a kid's movie, let's set aside that debate for a second, Josh. What did you think about how it kind of handled that idea and what it had to say about being someone that's like single-mindedly obsessed with something in life and what it means for a kid's movie to attack a question like that? See, this movie kind of does a very, like, it's kind of complicated on it because, like, um, I guess like spoilers because you know, like, like to answer your question, we're gonna spoil getting... stuff, yeah. Don't worry about it, we're not doing a spoiler section for this, okay? Okay, so like, when you get towards the end of the movie, like, you know, he finally makes it back to uh perform at, at, at the Dorothea Dorothea uh, uh concert thing or whatever, and when he comes out of the uh concert, you know, he has like second thoughts because also this is the same thing where like 22 is basically, you know, not allowed to be on Earth if he's going to continue with his life. Um, and he's talking to Dorothea, like, you know, when I die, I would have this moment. I died feels, you know, something greater or something like that. And then she gives him analogies, like, you know, a fish just, like, swimming or whatever. And then she's like, you know, he's like, ah, the fish is like, I want to be in the ocean. And it's like, this is the ocean. You know what I mean? And, and... And in the movie is basically, you know, the whole time, like, the Joe character is sort of struggling between, you know, compromising on his dream, dreams uh, uh, um, or, you know, doing something that he loves, right? And so I think that the, because the movie lets him live <laughs> towards the end, it sort of kind of, you know, wafts on, on that thing a little bit where it's getting very complicated. And funnily enough, I'm kind of reminded of the Pixar, like the most underrated Pixar movie of the decade, which is Monsters University. Mm -hmm. like, at the end of that film, what I always loved about, what I've always respected about that film was that it was the one family film that had like the courage to tell kids, um, no, 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 you can't do... Uh, <laughs> yes. Um, what you yes. want to do in life <laughs> you can't don't follow your <laughs> yeah well, well, well joe and i joe and i talked about that a couple months ago and like my i think my one if i remember correctly i think like my one criticism of that movie was that it was like oh like it would have been cool to see him actually discover what his purpose should be like i like the balls of the movie like being like yep maybe you don't always have to follow your dreams but like it would have been cool to see what it looked like to have like I don't even remember what Scully's title job title is in the first movie. If it's like scare administrator or, or I, I, he has some kind of job title. I'm just not remembering. It's essentially of a scare coach. He's scared. Like, something like that. It's like, yeah, he never like kind of found his calling. It would have been cool if, if they would have found room in that movie to see him find his calling. But I kind of liked that. It was like, it found a way to like not be too sad to be a kid's movie, but still have that kind of message. How do you think 
soul did with handling that subject matter, Joe. See, that's where I think it's a little less successful than Monsters University, which I'm so glad that we have, we're carving out some Monsters University <laughs> praise here. It, it really is under, like, I've, I, I, I will bang that drum. There's a key moment in this movie where uh, Joe is inside the body of the cat and uh, 22 is inside Joe's body. And uh, that student comes to the, Connie comes to the apartment with her trombone and she's like, I'm going to quit. I'm going to quit. And then she sits on the stair step with 22 and uh, plays the trombone and comes up with her riff and she gets really inspired. And 22 is like, oh, it's really great. And it works. And I think that scene, what the intention was, was really to drive home the thought that, you know, Joe likes being a teacher, a mentor, like that's his purpose or his spark. And that was, uh, you know, that was one of the scenes where I actually got really frustrated as a viewer because that scene's not through Joe's POV. Right. Like Joe is locked in the apartment during that. And I think we lost a lot in that moment because I feel like that would have been a good moment for us to really, because presumably the way I view the ending um, is that Joe goes back and takes the job at the high school and like fulfills his spark, his purpose of being, you know, a mentor um, to those band kids. And um, I was just, I just remember watching that scene, just be like, oh, like, why isn't Joe there? Like, why can't the cat be out in the hallway at least? Like, come on. See, like that wrinkle, like, okay, I had like the same type of like, you know, it's not him who's actually like inspiring the student. It's technically 22 um, mm-hmm. and her her not knowing any better or whatever is what kind of does it. Um, kind of like her the barbershop scene too, in a way. Right. Yeah. And, and, and what I, here's the thing, that scene actually, that was like, okay, that was like, that was like my type of bait or whatever, because I'm like, all right, you know, like as a teacher, you kind of like to think like, Oh, maybe you're slowly like inspiring students. You don't really realize it. But like the thing that I kind of liked about that weird wrinkle and which sort of makes the movie complicated. I think sort of like the end sort of undermines it. Um, mm-hmm. But like, as you were saying, it's not from his perspective. It, it's 22 that's actually doing work there, which would speak to maybe his purpose is not to be a teacher because he would not have said the things that 22 did to get that kid to go back and play the trumpet. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, that's why I kind of liked about it where it's like, oh, maybe maybe him being a jazz player at the at the door at the cafe or whatever is more of his purpose than him being a teacher uh, because mm-hmm. of that weird wrinkle. Because like if he had been in his body, he probably would have said the wrong thing. He would have been, you know, 22's flippiness is what kind of got the kid to like. Yeah. Uh, well, so do you guys think the movie should have taken like more of a hard stance at the end uh, as to like. I, I, I kind of liked it. I, I saw a couple people, my friend John, who's done the podcast a couple of times and uh, a couple other places I saw, I thought maybe it just kind of like, it didn't really like go for it enough at the end. And maybe should have like yeah. hammered it home. I, I didn't know if I necessarily needed it to spell out for me that his purpose was to be a teacher. I feel like I could kind of infer that based on like how he, I guess the idea being he kind of like showed 22, the taught 22 what it means to like be a person on earth and like showed her a good time. But I do, maybe, maybe what you guys are saying to me is that maybe it didn't necessarily set that up quite as well as it could have. You know, like, here's the weird thing. It might have set up like it had probably made much more of a convincing case that maybe he should die than his death. (laughs) And I think, you know, like, 
Uh, and I just think that's probably not the Pixar movie. <laughs> like, like Disney is gonna like you know. And I, again, I, what I like about Pixar is, is I think they have enough capital, a lot of free reign, where they can explore these bigger, deeper themes in, under the package of like uh, of a Pixar movie um, as a thing to sell the kids while they're trying to grapple greater things. And sometimes I think maybe we probably give them too much credit. Cough, cough, co- Coco. But like, um, but, but that being, but that being said, like, I think like, here's the thing. Cause it's like, I think I've seen a lot of comparisons to like soul to like a Don Hertzfeld film. And I think that's probably like where it wants to get to. And I think like it, it, it either just it, it miscalculated certain stuff. Um, maybe it was too clever by half with like the whole 22 stuff. Or um, it's just it just couldn't it just can't bring itself to have that very messy ambiguous ending. I think it has a messy ending, but I don't necessarily think it has one that necessarily one hundred percent sticks the landing. Yeah, I agree on the messy ending, um, in, in a sense. And um, it's funny. I was reading an interview with Kemp Powers, who co-directed and co-wrote the movie, and he talked about how like they had this big decision if they were going to let Joe live or die. And, like, um, I get that being, like, the push and pull, like, you know, like, where they're Disney and, they, like, they can't quite get to that Hertzfeld territory and they may want to let him live based off of their whole thing. Um, my thing is, too, is just, like, I don't like how abrupt it is because, like, you know, we've all kind of, hint, like, mentioned here. It's, like, I kind of want to know what he decided to do because, um, yeah, you're kind of left to infer what exactly his spark is, you know, because uh, – or what his purpose is because – you again, like you know that scene you referenced where he talks to Dorothy outside the club and like the ocean versus water, and like we kind of get the sense that maybe you know playing every night isn't his purpose, but then what is? So, um, well, because they have that scene, I guess I took it to mean okay. Well, then yeah, maybe he actually does get more out of teaching, and he's going to now see that. I guess it was more like for me at least. I, I, I I'm not saying the the ending like the landing was totally stuck, but I was like okay, well, I kind of like that he had that realization after the performance, and maybe teaching's mm-hmm. his thing, and that's kind of just where we go from here and i guess my point was like why did they because we haven't even talked about the first half of this movie and the great before which actually i was not a, i was not a fan of that part of the movie necessarily because i didn't think it was as anywhere like you've had five years since inside out to like and i thought this was like way less visually mm-hmm. impressive than inside out in that regard yeah felt like a rehash of inside out like it, mm-hmm. it, it but it, way it, but way less interesting to look at yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I thought, like, it seemed like a sort of failure of imagination because, like, it, for me, it felt too close to Inside Out, but without, like, some of the, you know, again, I think Inside Out, like, had a very clever visual conception of, like, our mm-hmm. emotional stuff. And, and, and this one, I felt like, A, a hue too close to that style, and then B, without, like, sort of making it, it its, its own, and then B, without some of uh, the things that made me want to stay in that world, like Bing Bong and some of the well, angry emotions, stuff like that. Yeah, and, and I guess jokes too. Um, Wait, did you say uh, jokes? You broke up for a second. Yeah, I said jokes. Like, like there's, I forgot. Like an Inside Out. It's been a while, but there's like this thing where, like, you know, and this is like um, the like something where you like procrastinate or whatever, and it's like. <laughs> Not fully built, and, but actually, there is some good sight gag. What I like about this, this movie does have a lot of good cutaway gags. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the, the Knicks thing is great. The Knicks joke is great. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, well, I guess I would say the I, I and I, I guess I think we're on the same page on that. Then I guess my thing was just like I felt like so much of that time in the great before, which I did I didn't love visually anyway. But if we're just accepting that as this is like a thing and this is part of the world, it was very weird that it spent so much time in that like that hall of everything or something where they're talking about sparks and what this spark is and what that means. And then it, the movie kind of shoves she, like kind of just like shrugs off the, the the idea of a spark at the end anyway. It's like it felt like a lot of wasted motion on that. Where my favorite part of this movie was just seeing its rendering of new york city and yeah, it was like yeah. we spent so much time in this great before where like so much of the time that was spent there was spent on something that ultimately kind of doesn't matter that much where the movie's like yeah your spark really isn't your purpose and it's like okay well why did we spend 20 minutes talking about sparks when like i could have spent that 20 minutes just like exploring more fun corners of new york city and seeing 22 like kind of see the value in that which was like the most interesting part of the movie for me yeah or like you know like again like like the stuff inside the barber shop is far more interesting right. than mm-hmm. the icons of stuff in the great before, you know, um, like the cultural specificity of this movie. And again, maybe we're giving it too much credit. Who knows? But like, you know, that stuff is a lot more interesting than say, you know, this like inside out tube that we were in. And as you said, like doesn't really pan out uh, as much. Yeah. Like inside out, there's like this just beautiful chaotic energy also with like this great specificity and they have a very good like grasp of like how everything works. And it's very clear, like scoreboard wise in sense of like the different islands of personality and like how they all connect to the brain and work and everything. And this just felt a bit more like, um, you know, it was a lot more ambiguous and vague and it's not maybe it's not necessarily fair to soul since I consider inside out and spider verse, like the two best animated movies of the last decade. But like it, um, yeah, it, it, it pales in comparison, and it's almost, I mean, while at the same time, it's kind of impossible to live up to, so. Um, yeah, you know, you don't, you don't, yeah. you don't want to keep, like, put, putting it in that way. What, what, what did you think, I guess I, I want to ask you guys what you thought of some of these, like, or actually, before I get to, like, some of the side characters, because I actually don't have that much to say about all the Jerry's and Terry's. I think some people got a <laughs> kick out of the words, and those guys didn't do a ton for me. I want to ask you it's received a lot of attention because it was actually kind of controversial that, you know, they have uh, Tina Fey, who, another funny side gag is she like makes fun of her own voice and they call her annoying white lady and stuff like that. And that's all well and good, but she ends up like kind of voicing the actual body of Joe the whole time. And there's like some controversy about that. Like you have this white woman kind of voicing this uh, black animated character, even though he is being inhabited by that person. My thought on that was like, yeah, I see why that's bad. And I did not understand why it couldn't have been that character, but still being voiced by Jamie Foxx, which I think would have given him like something like really interesting to do from like a vocal performance, though it wouldn't have made as much sense for like the cat to be talking like uh, Tina Fey because the whole point was she was supposed to be inhabiting like the, the soul was supposed to be inhabiting Joe. But like at the same time, I'm like, there's maybe a way around this and Tina Fey just doesn't have to be as big of a part of it. The the cat can have some other voice and but Jamie Foxx could still just sound like Joe can still sound like Jamie Foxx, but have the personality of 22. I, I don't know if you gave that much thought as you saw some of that controversy, Josh, but what did you think about how the movie handled it, and is there a way that you can see it working better? So you're telling me on Christmas Day, two studios release a movie in which there's a controversial body swap element. That <laughs> um, like, here's the thing. Like, I think this is sort of like Pixar sort of becoming too clever by half you know like, like i think this is like i think like the, the, i think that's the problem with soul is like 
they have like a bunch of like interesting ideas and then like they sort of back themselves in a corner with it. You know what I mean? Where like there's a world where you didn't necessarily have to do that. Although it does give us that, that, that weird dichotomy between him at the barbershop and, and, and him with the student, which I think we, uh, but all of us are in agreement. Like those are the two best scenes in the movie. Probably. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's probably another way around it. I don't really know the answer to it. Um, did you, did, were you offended as you were watching this whole Tina Fey voicing the black guy character? Or did not, not, not really like move you one way or the other in the moment. It's probably like my, my thoughts are probably like, Oh, that's a, that's a choice. <laughs> uh, um, and, and more like, Again, like, you know, you can get into this whole, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, Ellison theory of, like, the invisible man or whatever. But, like... That is a throwback. That's one of those that they made most of us read in high school, I think. Or at least I did. But I have not had to... That's been way too longer than I care to admit. (laughs) And so, you know, you you can probably get into that. But, like, when you probably break it down, it probably will leave you very uncomfortable the thing is like in terms of like a story purpose i think that's probably where i was a little bit more confused by it because again like i i think this is just them sort of like i think with this movie it, it, i think like kind of going i think since it's a follow-up to inside out you know not a technical like sequel or anything like that but just a doctor's follow-up i think probably there's a lot more pressure to be original and stuff like that and i feel like you sort of get yourself into these weird corners that you don't want to get into yeah for me it was the most it, it was really distracting for me um i wasn't a fan of having tina Fey voice the character because you already like you know i mean there's there was a lot made before the movie came out of that trend of like where in most animated movies black characters end up getting transformed into something else and i mean admittedly it's something that doctor and yeah talked about. it's been about exactly a year since we talked about spies in disguise <laughs> right and um oh, we're the okay. lucky spies in disguise i'm jealous yeah <laughs> that, that was when uh daniel joined joe and i to talk about that one and like yeah. i mean da- daniel was daniel was more like disgu- i don't think daniel found it offensive at all in that movie he just got a kick out of the fact that i didn't know that was going to happen until i saw the movie and he was just very excited to see me go into that movie not knowing anything about what it was about and then having that be the, the big catch of that movie but uh but yeah, no, I I, I kind of see what you're saying, Joe. Where you, you kind of you already knew it was coming in this movie, and you're like, oh, I I could have just watched something different, you know. And I'll say too, I think it's less of a trend, and it's like the the big like that's like the surface issue, and the real issue is that there's not enough animated movies that are about black characters in general. Like that's the problem. Like that's more so the problem than the body switch thing, and because like this is only like the fourth major animated movie to have a black character that I could think of from a big studio. But um, or at least in recent memory. So, yeah, I just thought it was really distracting. And like, you know, there's obviously a lot of stuff that goes into casting. But I mean, I saw somebody suggest that they could have recasted Tina Fey with a with a black uh, actor or actress. And I'm just like, you know what? Like, maybe that's something that they could have done. I don't know. But um, ultimately, like, it's not something like I don't think it was done out of malicious intent or anything. And obviously Pixar made an effort to like diversify the crew and bring in um, black creators to work on this movie as well. So like, I'm not going to sit here and like pretend like I know everything or know more than the people who worked on it and discussed on it. And if you watch the credits too, they had a lot of people they consulted on Googler. everything. So yeah, Kugler exactly. And, oh, I did um, not know that. I did not see that. Interesting. Yeah. And um, well, I know Kent Powers I mean, came in late and they changed a lot of the story when he got it, took the crack of the script, right? 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, but you know, with all that said, like, yeah, it was, it was really distracting for me. It's not something that torpedoes the movie for me, but it's just something I couldn't help but be like, Oh, like, like Josh said, like, that's a choice. Okay. Like you're going to do that. And then, um, I'll say too, like brave, uh, spoiler alert, um, does a body switch thing too, or like sort of a transformative body switch thing too. And just generally not a fan of that in movies. Cause I feel like that's been mined and it's been done before. And if like, you're going to do it, it needs to be like, you need to knock it out of the park. And there's certain elements of this. Like we talked about the street corner scene where 22 and Joe's body, like is able to observe the street corner. And that's like a really beautiful scene, but all in all, I don't know if, you know, I'm not sure the overall benefit of doing that was worth doing it. Well, I guess. One other thing I'll say that I really liked in the movie before we finish up and see if you guys have any other thoughts on it. Cause it'll give you a chance to comment on any of the other smaller characters. Maybe I like the idea of where they have like their, uh, when they're just kind of seeing the other parts of the great before besides like the main part and they they go and they see both where they're talking about the zone but also like when uh but 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 also when they like show show both the lost souls and the people that are like actually still alive but hanging out in the great before because they're at a, a job that like makes them soulless which i thought was like a funny kind of like way to like uh have a have a literal representation of a play on words where like the guy that like works for a head fund is just like literally lost his soul working at that job <laughs> and then is all of a sudden like has it replaced and like has an epiphany like i thought that was like a very clever funny thing i'm not sure if the kids would get that joke or not but again they they, they do some funny physical comedy within it to kind of help that out so i kind of like that i don't know if you had any other thoughts on mechanically that part of the movie because at one point i was like very confused as to like what they were trying to track down that that one guy to do the uh is it the graham norton character uh yeah moonwind like he's like yeah. the spiritual guy and i'm like wait i know they need to find him right before this show but i don't exactly understand what he's gonna do so i don't know if they really explained it that well but i kind of like some of the jokes that they got out of that corner of the movie also i don't know if, if either of you had any feelings on that but that was kind of the one area we hadn't really discussed yet so i wanted to like let you guys comment if you did but that was kind of where i came down on that part of it Oh yeah, like I enjoyed like some of the cutaway gags. Like they're they're very like you know there were some really funny ones. I mentioned like the one about the Knicks or whatever, and I think I remember like I think like it might be like someone who's like an, a, an air traffic controller or something like that. Like when he gets out of the zone or whatever, <laughs> it like just I, I, I it's been a while because I saw it on Christmas Day. I'm sorry, some mm. listeners, but but yeah, like there were some good cutaway gags like playing with this conceit. Um, but I really want to know which one you think is more offensive the body swap in this one or the one in wonder woman 1984. Oh yeah. yeah. I don't. Yeah. I, I don't know. So as far as like the wonder woman thing, like I, I haven't clicked on any of the articles about it. I kind of meant to, and I just didn't, didn't get a chance to, and I understand where any of them would be coming from. But in the moment I just kind of like took it at face value. And I was like, I get it. Like, I guess it's like, but I don't think they really explained the mechanics of it enough in the movie for me to really like fully grasp it like he inhabited this guy but like i just kind of meant like he just turned into him and i, I saw like, a line that said, described it as wonder woman 1984 is the scariest body horror film of the year and it doesn't know why <laughs> <laughs> my thing with the 84 switch i was like why did he have to inhabit another body why couldn't he have just come back like i don't i don't <laughs> understand like it just felt like it was a something they contrived and they just didn't even have to like they could have just brought him back from the dead like I, I mean, I guess we're I guess we're sort of switching gears here now, but I'm just like, what are you doing? But, yeah, like, I, because like like the opening to Wonder Woman is a set piece set in the Amazonian planet, right? Mm -hmm. And like 
and at the end of it, like at the end of that set piece, like you know, Robin Wright tells young um, Wonder Woman, uh, like you know, because you cheated, you know, that's why you didn't win this round, right? I don't think that lesson pertains to anything that happens in the rest of the movie. I like, <laughs> I, I, yeah. If unless it went over my head, and I think I saw both movies on the same day. But like, unless it went over my head, uh, uh, I I don't know why <laughs> you needed that set piece other than like it's a cool set piece. Like like I don't like there's a moral lesson that Diana le- learns at the end of the first set set piece that is never recalled back throughout the rest of the movie or relates to the theme of the film. Unless unless I'm just I'm dumb and it's no just no dumb. no no I, I agree with that and I. You know, I even had the same thought. Like, it's like I think they people like seeing Themyscira so much in the first movie, and they were like, "Oh, I would watch a whole Themyscira movie." So I think they wanted to give him something of that, but it didn't really seem all that necessary. And that time probably could have been better spent elsewhere. So I was reading an interview where Patty Jenkins was saying, like, due to just like the economic demands and commercial expectations of this movie, she's like, I had a certain movie with, like, two set pieces. Otherwise, like, you know, A, like, for people... Like, the first part of set pieces, like, she's, like, a good portion of the audience has not seen the first Wonder Woman, probably, right? And so they kind of have to have a set piece that recalls, you know, her origins or whatever. And that's the whole reason for that stuff in the Amazon in the beginning. And then the second set piece, you know, it is just, you know, the opening of the sequel, you know, of her in the mall. And so... She's it, like it, it basically is less of a storytelling function and more of a commercial function is what I was getting at. That makes sense. Do you have any other uh, – we know you have to leave soon, Josh. So we're, I, I want to get your thoughts on Wonder Woman 1984 on the record before Joe and I go a little deeper on it. But I was, I was genuinely curious because I actually have talked to you about this a little bit, but it's been over a week since I did it. So for the listeners, can you give us like your – your like your 90 second big takeaway and overall feelings about the movie because from what i remember you saying you might not have been as down on it as it seems like maybe some of the larger critical consensus was yeah so like when the first wonder woman came out i was sort of a minority on an island where like there were things that i liked about it you know keep in mind this was coming off of like the disaster of like batman versus superman um and so when the first wonder woman came out i was like all right um, I was like so so on the movie while watching it, and then like the third uh, set piece came in, and I was like, no, it's a bad movie. Com- completely fell apart uh, for me there. Um, and the highs of it didn't make up for you know the stuff that left me cold. And so with this film, I kind of have lower expectations, but also like I kind of like the campy fun of this world in the beginning, like the first hour or so I was kind of into it. Um, I was into the camp and it kind of recalled like, uh, the first two Superman movies, uh, from the seventies and, and early eighties. And, and so I was like, all right, I kind of like this vibe that she's going with, especially with like Kristen Wiig and stuff like that. And then as the movie progressed, it made less and less sense. Uh, um, then you have another dirt act problem where, like, the fight between her and Cheetah, like, kind of looks like a scene out of Cats. And then, um, uh, and also, like, just this whole conceit of, like, wishing or whatever, it doesn't make that much sense. I don't really like Pedro Pascal in, in, in the role of this, like, Trump-like figure. And then also, when you get to, like, the Middle East, I'm like, I don't know what it's trying to say about 1980s politics, but I don't think 
they're saying things I like about it. <laughs> yeah, and, but but I, I I'll say now I like that I like that, and I understand any of the criticisms people have about that part of the movie, which is a shame because I think that's the best action set piece in the whole movie too, the one that takes mm-hmm. place in the Middle East with that car chase. Yeah, and, and, and it recalled like a little bit of like Indiana Jones and Last Crusade, where she's like in between like vehicles and stuff like that. Um, but like I like like again, I think this is my take. I think people were a little bit overrating the first one, and then like the second one, I think they're way way too harsh. Like people are saying like this movie is a complete like incom- incomprehensible mess or whatever, and I'm like it is messy, but like you know to me this is like like, a, a half a star below, like, your average Marvel MCU movie. Like, if, okay. if, if if they worked out the kinks, like, I would say this is on par with any MCU film. So, like, I don't really get why people are so, so angry about it either. I got you. Well, all right, Josh. Well, I appreciate your review. I think uh, it's, it's, a, it's a different perspective because I think a lot of people have been, like, super, super down on it. And I'll get a little bit more into my opinions after we let you go. But Josh has other prior commitments that he needs to attend to. So we're going to let him leave the podcast now and thank him for his time. So, Josh, we'll talk to you. We might talk to you soon. I don't know if uh, I firmed it up with you and Daniel, but I think Daniel was expecting that we might all get together to talk about One Night in Miami in a week or two. So maybe, maybe, maybe we'll hear from you sooner rather than later. But uh, thank you for your time, and we'll – talk to you later all right see you later all right bye, bye. now that now we got josh's quick wonder woman review joe and i will back up and talk about soul i think where he left off on soul was uh he just josh transitioned with the body swapping which is good because we kind of got the most of the body swapping discussion out of, of wonder woman 1984 out of the way that we can go back to it but i'll say joe i think the last point i was trying to get across on soul that i did not necessarily have like the chance to go all in on was that and we talked about the ending and how maybe it doesn't totally like necessarily 100% land the ending. But as I was watching it again for the second time, uh, I was trying to I, – I, I did I, – it did feel a little more personal to me as I watched it again because I am also at a point in life where – it's interesting because I, I, I was thinking about doing this podcast with you too and how back when I first met you, we were like – we were both like planning to be sports journalists. And or no, you weren't, we weren't planning that. Joe always kind of had an idea. He was going to maybe go to film school and kind of do a film writer thing. I thought I was going to be a sports journalist. I am now a lawyer. And Joe is actually like kind of on his way to being like a screenwriter. So, you know, people take their different paths in life. So I kind of watched this kind of thinking like, oh, you know, like I actually had aims of being a sports writer back then. And like life just didn't take me that way. But I've actually become like, you know, more okay with that as I've gotten further away from it. And I don't know if like I've been like, oh, yeah, teaching is definitely like my true calling. I don't know if I've necessarily had like a a eureka moment like that. But it was kind of a thought that I had where it's like, Though I'm not sure if this lesson of the movie should apply to everyone where, uh, hey, that thing that you're, like, really uh, passionate about, don't get too into it. Maybe that shouldn't be the case, but I think maybe the message that, like, you should take from the movie, and maybe it's debatable whether or not it came clearly and came through clearly enough, was that, like, and I and maybe it is something that Monsters University kind of did, like we talked about, is, like, hey, like, th- that one thing, it might not be the one thing that you, like, you have to go for, and uh, it might just, like, take you a while. Though it's a c- kind of an interesting choice that we didn't talk about that this was a movie about a middle-aged man. But I've, like, as I've gotten further away from it, it wasn't like there was ever, like, a moment where I'm like, oh, yeah, the sports writing thing's not for me, where Joe has in the movie at his second performance. But it was, like, I've seen other friends been like, oh, no, that sports writing thing wasn't good, and I tried it for longer than you did, Josh. And <laughs> Joe has some of these same friends, too, that, like, some it worked for longer more than others. So I think it's kind of an interesting idea of, like, oh, like, we might think it's going to be one thing, and then it turns into another thing, and then it's okay if you you never have, like, a moment where you're like, oh, 
I was born to do this. Because if you had told me five years ago that, hey, you're going to be like representing grocery stores in slip and fall lawsuits, I would have been like, oh, just murder me. That sounds awful. And I, I'm actually not bad at it. And I'm okay at it. And it's something that like kind of gets me through the day. And there's so many other kind of people in law and in other fields that it's like, you didn't grow up th- dreaming of being that. But it's like you found something that like you're good enough at that you find value in. And hey, maybe that's good enough. And maybe that's where the movie fell a little short in that like we could have had a few more scenes where Joe was back to teaching or something yeah. like that. Where you kind of see him at least coming to realize that. And maybe the movie doesn't have to like hit you on the head with it too much and be too – again, it wouldn't be the end of the world if it did that because it was a kid's movie. But maybe there just should have been a few more moments where Joe's like, hey, like I get something out of this and like or, – or see more of his exterior life. Like, we don't see Joe with any friends. Like, I'm sure yeah. he probably has a few friends. And maybe we should have just gotten a better sense of, like, what else he had going for him in life. Uh, I know I just kind of rambled a bit there, but do you, d- does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. Like, even there's that one part of the movie where 22 makes reference to, I think, Lisa. Yeah, and, like, like some like, woman in his past, but we don't learn too much yeah. about it. Right, exactly. Um, yeah, like, to kind of go off what you said, though, I like, one of the things about this movie that touched me really that I love about it is – um, you know, your purpose for living may not be your career. Like we are almost like, like the United States is like this warped capitalist society where everyone just assumes that their purpose in life is to do their job that pays them and stuff. And like, you know, and like too, you know, like even people with, if people are in their dream career, dream careers and they like really enjoy what they do, like they're not necessarily fulfilled by it, you know? Um, and I did like this movie's message of just like, your spark or your purpose for living isn't necessarily your career. And I think especially this year where a lot of us have had to like work from home or really just been shuttered or we've like lost jobs and stuff that we don't seek personal validation from the stuff that we do from nine to five or nine or whatever your work hours may be, you know? So, um, yeah, I found that really valuable. Yeah. And I guess it's like, you know, I feel like the movie does like, you know, touch on this, but who knows, maybe a better ending that maybe you didn't have to go all in on the teaching. Could have just showed like, oh, here's what Joe's life looks like now. And yeah. it didn't necessarily have to be him like ha- teaching a kid and having that kid have a like a breakthrough moment where it's like, oh, my God, I'm meant to be a jazz trumpet player now or something like that. Like It didn't have to be that, but it could have just been like him just going about his day at the school and then like going to see his family or something like that might have been a uh, a way to end it without being like too on the nose with like he was born to be a teacher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or Joe even staying in the great before and continuing to mentor souls, you know, like that, that's another path oh, that could have gone down. Right. Cause it's an but, interesting um, choice where like, I think Josh said, like it kind of sets you up to think that maybe he was just going to die. And then it's like, all of a sudden, Oh no, you get to live, but we yeah. don't really see what that leads to. So, whereas like yeah. could, it, w- it would have been a little easier to envision what his life would have been like in the great before, even if, as I already said, I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of the great before. So, right. But uh, long live the Jerry's. Were, so you did, were, so you did like were, the Jerry's. Yeah, so I, I was a big fan of the Jerry's. <laughs> just something about the manic energy of it and like the way they talk to each other. And then like one of my favorite gags in the movie is at the end where they're like, Oh yeah, we sorted things out with Terry, and then they literally just like distract him and, and like fudge the abacus and I'm like yeah. <laughs> legitimate uh, laugh out loud. Uh, I, I did get a good laugh out of that one moment, but uh I don't know. Other than that, I could have like taken and taken or left the Jerry's. They were they were just kind of they, they were just kind of there, and I, I just I don't know. I had more expectations for it. Like going into it, I, I don't even think I knew the movie was set in New York at all. I don't even know if I I maybe watched a trailer like once. So I was like pleasantly surprised by its rendering in New York because like one of my favorite things is to see 
how different directors shoot New York and live action movies, and it was kind of really satisfying to see like Pixar really go all out. Because I don't think there's another. Is there another Pixar movie? Uh, well, I guess Inside Out, San Francisco, a little bit, but it's really not. Yeah. Set set in there the same way this movie is kind of set in New York, and I don't know if there's another Pixar movie that actually depicts a real city. Really not. No, I mean, and like, yeah, the way they render it is beautiful, and I'm like, I'm kind of like. I would like to see them make another movie that's in New York like that. You know, like it just, it's, uh, you know, they don't get into the real world that much at Pixar. And when they, I mean, I liked, I mean, I love the way it looked here. So yeah. I okay. Mad if I Any yeah. final thoughts on soldier? You know, like it's not my favorite Pixar movie, but I think it definitely was incredibly ambitious and had a lot of moments of like real pathos and, um, you know, it's it's it, it was a movie that had the cards stacked against it with, uh, you know, being so similar to Inside Out in a lot of regards. But um, hopefully there will be more Pixar movies uh, that center and star uh, black people, because uh, this obviously has the um, designation of being the first and hopefully uh, not the last. Yeah, so. I second that. And I'll just say that, like, look, it bites off a lot. You know, it's. I think little kids maybe aren't going to find it quite as satisfying as other Pixar movies, but they'll they'll still find something they can get out of it. And it, again, there's just a lot going on in it. And for me, some of it worked, uh, some of it didn't. But I, on my second watch, when I was more zoned in, some of that stuff uh, was very very affecting. Just like seeing uh, th- this person kind of take in New York City and. Uh, that really worked for me and, uh, what all that meant that they were being moved by that what really worked for me. And but may, maybe not everything else does when it ties everything together, but that's fine. This, it still has a decent amount going for it. So I, I can still recommend it though. It's like, you know, again, if you're just like asking me to rank them, it's, it's easily, it's, it's, it's easily not inside out, but like, as I think Joe and I've said on a bunch of these things, like if you re- compare every animated movie to inside mm-hmm. out, you're not going to like, you're not going to really like appreciate animated movies enough. So it's not really like a worthwhile exercise, but again, it's the first movie Pete doctor's done since then. So it, it, it your, your mind's going to inevitably go there. So, uh, yeah. but yeah, so uh, Pete Doctor. yes, uh, agreed. Uh, all right. Now we're going to move to Wonder Woman 1984, which we already talked about a little bit with Daniel, but it deserves a little more attention. As we already kind of discussed, it opens uh, with the flashback with uh, young, young Diana and Themyscira uh, in an athletic event against a bunch of the older Amazons. And she falls from her horse and takes a shortcut, and uh, but has missed a checkpoint, so her mom knows she kind of lied to get to the end of the competition. And uh, she gets scolded about her honesty, which kind of becomes a theme, maybe not so seamlessly throughout the rest of the movie. And then we're back in 1984, where Diana has been hanging out for, you know, between 60 and 70 years since the end of the events of the first movie, uh, just kind of just deciding she's going to become a spinster, which is uh, its own maybe problematic uh, choice of its own, where she's never gotten over Steve, never gotten over Steve Trevor sacrificing himself at the end of the first movie, and she's sad, but she works at the Smithsonian uh, as kind of a... Uh, an archaeologist of sorts there's a new museum employee named barbara minerva played by Kristen wig who's a geologist and cryptozoologist who's socially awkward and nice but kind of goes unnoticed but befriends diana and uh there's also a failing businessman in the picture played by pedro pascal named maxwell lorenzano or maxwell for short he visits the Smithsonian as a wealthy donor, but he's hoping to obtain this stone that both uh, Diana and Barbara have come across that uh, allows you to, you know, 
grants you one wish and diana unknowingly wishes uh for steve to come back and he does and we already kind of talked about how that happens uh barbara after diana saves her from an attacker wishes she'd be like diana not knowing that diana has special powers that comes with its own set of complications uh max has to wants to track down the, the stone and eventually uh wishes to become the stone itself uh which is kind of wild and that leads to it's uh, like a whole bunch of hijinks in the rest of this movie joe i guess i'll first ask from what you remember what did you think of the first wonder woman film and that came out in 2017 because again this is the same team behind it it's patty jenkins directing again and and I, I actually she's involved in the screenplay for this too along with jeff johns i didn't realize she had a, a screenplay credit on it i don't know if she actually uh wrote the first one but uh i don't think she did actually so that's kind of interesting she uh had more of a say in this one uh in in that regard and uh but yeah joe what did you think about uh the the first wonder woman movie from what you recall and uh how, how did you ultimately feel this one was a follow-up to it yeah i like the first wonder woman movie okay like you know i thought it was a good movie i enjoyed it when i watched it um i obviously wasn't um amongst the uh the people who loved it which is fine you know um i think it kind of the first one, and I may be misremembering it for all I can say, is I feel like it's sort of weighed down by the connection to the rest of the DCEU. Like, I feel like a lot of the aesthetic and, like, uh, lighting choices, like, are kind of going for that dark, gritty thing, which doesn't really feel like the character. And, um, you know, like, all in all, though, like, the stuff with the Amazons is cool, and, like, it's sort of like Captain America meets a little mermaid a little bit um, uh, with... Wonder Woman, but uh, yeah, like I think Gal Gadot or Gal Gadot. I honestly don't. I never heard her name said out loud. I just uh, read it all the time. You know, I think she's great in the role and um, a lot of cool action stuff. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's fine. I I think I was kind of like with the general consensus on that first movie, where like I, it's it inevitably probably got a, a bit, maybe a little bit more credit than it deserved because everyone's comparing it to all the other DC movies that were really bad before it, but. It was still really fun and a nice movie up until maybe that end part where uh, it just kind of devolves into like a weird CGI thing where she's fighting Ares at the end and it's just uh, yeah. not great. Why did you have to go in this direction? And it's funny you mentioned the colors because, I mean, maybe this is going to be an 80s movie anyway, but the 80s kind of just brings to mind a different kind of aesthetic that almost feels like it's pushing back against that other kind of DCEU aesthetic, which is good because, like you said, a lot of those movies, unfortunately, uh, just look the same. I don't know if this movie was quite as fun in certain ways even if like the 80s gives you a lot of opportunities for like fun music fun costumes stuff like that but i don't think i and then the end i think was similarly bad maybe worse this is the first one so i did like the first one better though at the same time i think i found enough to like kind of enjoy in the same way josh did where uh, the, well the other problem was that like i i was on vacation i should say like the last week of december so i knew i wasn't gonna be able to do the podcast then so I was trying to – I was originally maybe going to watch the movie on the early part of my vacation, but that didn't end up happening because the friend I was visiting ended up watching it before I got there. So I was like, okay, I may as well just like put off watching it until I get closer to getting back so then my viewing will be closer to when I do the podcast and it will be fresher in my head. But I, I can only hold out for so long. I, I think I, wa I ended up watching it like – about 10 days ago as of the recording of this podcast because I just saw so much negative reaction on social media and I saw like you know so many people just talking about how awful it was and I was like oh my god I'm just dreading it watching it even more now I guess I may as well like watch it so like I I, I, I knew it was like two hours and 40 minutes also and I was just like I is this just gonna be bad and I'm just I keep like hearing more terrible stuff and I just need to like hurry up and like watch this thing so I can like just get it done with and not be dreading it anymore and I did, and I think my expectations were so low because of everything I'd seen to that point that, like, 
it, it was inevitably like a little bit of a surprise that it wasn't as bad as I had braced myself for. So I'll say that, though the first part of it, maybe not as fun. The end was like kind of weird because like I saw potential for like something that like might have made sense where, you know, eventually Maxwell Lord is just like granting everyone in the world their wishes and it becomes a bunch of problems. And but it's like a very hectic scene. And all of a sudden just kind of like just it just kind of ends. And I just saw potential for that end, which was kind of pretty bad in operation. I saw a way in which it could have been like really good. And that was kind of like my big issue was like, yeah, some of this was fun up until then. But like. I saw an alternate version of this movie that actually was kind of interesting. I just decided not to investigate it. I guess I'll first say, because we already talked a little bit about the the wishing and the body switching and all that, and I was kind of curious how they were going to even get Chris Pine back in this movie. But uh, And Daniel already kind of gave his thoughts. How did you feel about like the first half of this movie in general and just leading up to when uh, Kristen Wiig's character takes a turn? Did you have fun in that section of the movie, which is kind of where it seems like Dan- uh, where Josh and I might have landed? I love the first half of this movie. Okay, you did. Um, it is easily, like, one of the goofiest, if not the goofiest superhero move, movie I've ever seen. Hmm. Like, um, it's just, like, the whole mall rescue is just, like, you know, uh, completely, like, scatterbrained chaos that I was not expecting to happen. Um, you know, like, I just, like, the whole, like, you know, friend date with Kristen Wiig and, and um and Gal Gadot, and just, I don't know, like, this whole thing, it just, like you, I had seen a lot of the negative reaction to it, and, like, you know, I I started it, and, like, with no real expectation or anything, and honestly, it just felt like a Marvel movie, like, it felt like they were making a Marvel movie, and, like, I don't know if it's because it was accessible to everybody, that, like, the criticism of it was louder, or... Like, if it's DCU and people have, like, negative opinions of DC movies because there really haven't been many good ones uh, since The Dark Knight, you know. And uh, Joe, I'm not I'm not going to shame you for not having watched any other DC movies, but if you haven't seen Shazam, I think you would enjoy it. I'll just say that. Okay. So, uh, yeah, I, I, that's, like, probably the best one there's been to date, and it's actually really fun. Okay, great. Um, I'll check it out. It's, uh, it's, it's uh, Zachary Levi, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, but you know, with all that said, like, yeah, like I had a lot of fun in the first half of this movie. Like it just feels like, um, it felt like it was surprising just kind of crazy. Like, like, I don't think it was good, but, um, and I said that with all due respect to the people who made it, it's just, it was just one of those things where it feels like all the, it feels like a lot of the Marvel stuff I see. And, um, you know, like there's nothing wrong with that. I thought it was fun. I thought it was entertaining. Like, and, uh, yeah, like I'll go ahead and say like, I think they could have just brought Steve Trevor back without him inhabiting someone else's body. Just like a very weird choice. But honestly, like it jived with like how truly goofy this whole thing. Like that's just the word. Like that's just the word I keep coming back to. It's just like a goofy movie. Um, I did kind of like how they went like a little Indiana Jones Jones with it a bit. Like um, with like, you know, a magic relic and all that stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, overall, like um, and then like, you know, as you and Josh both mentioned, like it sort of just spirals out of control in the second half. And that's partly because the first half of it's so goofy. Um, but yeah, like all in all, like I had a good time. It was entertaining. Um, worth the price of subscription rather than admission. So, 
let me ask you first, as a screenwriter, because uh, I'm kind of curious, because I, I don't want to take credit for like having this point myself, because my issues with this movie are different, but I was visiting, uh, I was in Orlando last week, I've, I, and I met up with a friend of the podcast, Nick, who uh, joins us for a lot of our more Batman-adjacent, or I don't want to say Batman-adjacent stuff, but like, he, he's a big Batman guy, so he has kind of thoughts on DC stuff, and he he did the Joker podcast with us, though. And I was talking about it with him and his wife, and his wife Rachel made the point that, like, uh, it's ultimately not even her movie. Like, the arc that it cares more about, it seems like, ultimately is Maxwell Lord's arc. And it's like, the movie's called Wonder Woman, and she's kind of sidelined and and plays second fiddle, ultimately, to to this man character that probably doesn't get developed as well as he should have. Was that something you were thinking about? Because that seems like probably the most important criticism and the most valid one I've heard that even probably deserves more discussion than what I'm going to ultimately say was my big takeaway from the movie, though I have some thoughts of my own as well. Was that anything you thought about at a certain point where it's like, you know, it seems like kind of interesting that like ultimately he's the one that's kind of getting a redemptive arc when he's been kind of the villainous figure and we're not really seeing her do a whole lot other than like put on a new suit and fight Kristen Wiig. Yeah, I agree. Um, There's this element to it where I think at one point I was watching it and I think I said to myself, I was like, why would Diana like go do this? You know what I mean? It's like, there's that morning where she and Steve wake up in the apartment and um, like, they're like, they're both kind of the sentiment. Like, I don't want to leave this room. And Wonder Woman's like, well, like I got to go see like, what's up with this stone. And she's like, <laughs> Oh yeah. I guess there's a plot uh, that we have to pay attention to. Yeah, because, like, it's not directly happening to her. Like, because um, the Steve thing is the thing that happens to her. But, like, you know, you know, like you're like Nick said, you know, it's it's one of those things where it like Pedro Pascal is the one who has the arc. Like, because it almost feels I guess Diana's arc in this movie is that she has to let go of Steve, um, which I mean, for it, <laughs> like a, a woman having to forget about a man like as being like an arc in this is like shrug, I guess. Um well, they well the, the thing is yeah. like they they were led to believe we see her eating outside by herself at the early in the movie. No, it's just for one when a waiter comes up yeah. and asks if they need both these place settings, and it's like I I think it it's just like they wanted to find a way to have Chris Pine in this movie because he was so yeah. well received in the first movie. Understandably, it's a very charming, fun performance, and you really like it, but it doesn't really speak that highly of her as a character that she has just been frozen and paralyzed in life for the last seventy years because she hasn't been able to be with him, and. It just would have it would have been a much better look for her and all involved. I feel like if they had just been able to be like, okay, she kind of looks at a picture of him every now and then, but she's off like doing her own thing. Instead, she's just like portrayed as like the sort the sad, pitiful woman because she lost a dude and has never been able to get over him. It's like that doesn't really like speak well to like her internal strength and ability to persevere. You know, even if she is able yeah. to kind of go do the superhero thing every now and then, it would have been. I think it would have been cool if you saw her like living a kick ass life. And that would have been kind of a cool thing to see yeah for sure and like i kind of questioned like and like you know i feel dumb like asking for this movie to be more overstuffed but like <laughs> i didn't understand like what her role in the society was like i get that like it's 1984 and everybody doesn't have a camera in their pocket but like was she trying to be a secret like was she because like there's there's an element of it where she like knocks out the security cameras but like also like if you're trying to keep your identity on the down low like why are you like forming like a mall robbery like in broad daylight you know it just feels like one of those things where um like it's a fun sequence and i enjoyed watching it and i think that's ultimately the point of the movie um you know that's what the audience wants but i'm just like you know there's well you don't yeah 
I don't know if you have a, whole, a huge sense of like what her place is in the world. I think it's, we're, we're yeah, kind of yeah. led to believe maybe that it's like, oh, there's this mysterious figure that keeps swooping and saving stuff. We don't know when she started doing that, how long she's doing it for, because this isn't like even like a this isn't even like a Superman Clark Kent thing where, yeah, he look, looks like Clark Kent, but at least it's yeah. like he's kind of in disguise with like glasses that make it so he looks like totally different. Apparently, she uh, looks like Diana when she's Wonder Woman. She's just wearing a costume, but she still looks exactly like Diana. So. How does she go about her daily life? What is exactly what is her like you said? What is her place in the world? It would have been cool to have a little context for that, I guess, because we don't know how long she's been off there like playing hero to stuff. But again, she, and she's not Batman; she's not wearing a mask. So it's like yeah. if she does this for so long, how is she able to just go along and live this anonymous life where she eats on the side of the street? Yeah, exactly. And um, it's just almost like the movie was like, okay, well, like we need this wish thing to get out of control. So like Diana needs to do, so Diana will actually have to do something about it, you know? Well, and also like, it's um, funny. You said we, we need the wish thing to get out of control. Cause the wish thing in, in and of itself, I mean, yeah, it's kind of a MacGuffin, but maybe not bad because I actually kind of liked Kristen Wiig for the first half of this movie, who I'm yeah. very mixed on in general as a person. Cause like, I liked her when she's like, normally when she's doing more normal stuff, uh, bridesmaid, she's kind of the straight woman to a lot of people in that movie. Uh, Skeleton Twins, like a great movie with Bill Hader. I don't know if you've ever seen it, but it's like, have you seen have you seen Skeleton Twins? Yeah. They're like, they act their asses off in that movie. It's kind of a random movie, but like, yeah. it was kind of eye-opening to know that they could both do that kind of thing when they were known right. for their goofy SNL characters. But I don't mm-hmm. love her as much when she does some of the weirder out there stuff on SNL necessarily, uh, where it's just like Gilly or other stuff like that, where it's just like, she's making weird noises kind of welcome to me was another movie that she was pretty involved in that she was a star in that was just like very out there very weird it's like i kind of like kristen wig playing normal people and while barbara in the first 30, 20 minutes of this movie is not normal i would say she's still a a, a particular type of person that i was kind of in, interested in and i really liked it when it was she was like kind of like first had her wish granted and she's slowly becoming something else and kind of coming to terms with what exactly she is and I guess mm-hmm. it makes sense that she would have liked that version of it and she would have been scared of having it taken away. But at the same time, like, it gets pretty over the top with her in addition to Max Lord, who's his own set of issues, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Like, just a lot of it, you know, again, like, this movie's fun. This movie's entertaining. Like, I, I enjoyed watching it. Like, I don't understand, like, the level of hate I've seen for it. But at the same time, like, I, just a lot of stuff just feels like it, it's, like, thrown in there or it happens. And, like, there's that whole... Uh, bit where they're like they take the jet you know and they're flying away and then it's like oh yeah like Wonder Woman flies an invisible jet so she suddenly like has to discover how to make the plane invisible (laughs) and it's just almost like could we have seen the invisible coffee cup scene like at the beginning like when she talks about making the coffee cup invisible it's like can we at least see her practicing that when she's sitting alone at the cafe or something you know um and then the waiter can come up and be like oh you need a refill oh by the way is the table only set for one like that's something like I would have tried do but like uh, and then like there's that whole like bit too about like the golden armor and like how like there's that big story about it and stuff and then basically Kristen Wiig tears apart the golden armor in seconds like uh, you know with, it's also very with, weird that it's like uh, it's kind of a metal and she's just like in that water at the last fight it's like is that not like gonna like electrocute her when there's like all these thunderbolts being also sent down into this water kind of and i was I just like she's immortal like that's her thing like her powers make her because oh, okay. she like gets shot with the bullet right. and she, then... yeah she's a god i guess yeah and then but there's also like the they did talk about that armor and its significance and stuff like that but it also didn't look like the most dynamic thing yeah uh-huh. it just seemed kind of clunky and like 
I don't know. It didn't seem like he was moving as fluidly in it. And I was like, okay, this doesn't look as cool to fight in as I imagine. Even if I guess I could probably stop some bullets or something. Like, I don't know. That was also a little bit of a letdown. That whole last fight scene was a little bit of a letdown for me. But, yeah. Yeah. Like, I hate it because, like, as I listen to myself talk, I feel like a lot of my, my comments on the movie are nitpicking. And it's just – and I think the reason for that is just, like, the central through line in the movie just doesn't make a ton of sense to me. Like, I don't know. Like, the exchange of you giving up the thing that – you value most like for the thing you wish for like it wasn't clearly drawn and also it's like kind of defeats the purpose of like even having the mm -hmm. wish granted in the first place it's like an odd thing and maybe that's how that thing was written in the comics i'm not a reader of the comics and that's just how they had to go with it but it's like it's kind of like you said it is a weird trade-off where it's like okay is this even really that valuable of a stone if it's like him the way max max lord uses it just like kills his health and everyone else it makes them miserable at the same time and it's like yeah maybe if it wants to make some kind of comment on capitalism materialism any of that stuff fine but like it, it's it almost seems like like it's a, it's almost an extreme way of having that thing work i suppose yeah and Kristen wigg's exchange didn't really um make sense to me i guess because because no one like, saw no one the... no one saw the value in her before that you know she was like a nobody yeah. at work it's like no one's like oh we like her she's really nice even if like no one yeah yeah and I guess her being kind to the man in the park, what, uh, to the to the homeless man in the park, I should say, not the, uh, is like, she like lost her compassion or something. But I'm just like, if you suddenly became a superhero overnight, I think you would sort of lose that compassion. And like, it that didn't make sense to me. Wonder Woman losing her powers, she still did like kick everybody's butt, like at a high speed on a highway kind of thing. You know, it's like, it's not like she was... You know, it's not like Superman 2 where Super where Superman gives up everything for Lois, you know, where mm. he's, like, completely powerless. Like, Wonder Woman was still, like, just fighting off all these dudes like it was nothing um, on in, like, this high-speed car chase. So it's, it's not like she got Clark Kennedy, you know, in the second movie where he gives it up for Lois. Yeah, I, I'm repeating myself. And then, like... Um, Again, and like with the Pedro Pascal thing, too. Yeah, so what did you like? A lot of people, it seems like that's a very divisive performance. I actually see some people that enjoy how he was going for it. What are your feelings on it? Yeah, I had no issue with the performance. Um, I mean, I I like him, and like, I think he was doing what he was doing with it. Like, it just didn't make sense to me. Like, I, it, for me, it didn't, like, when he's in Egypt with the King of Crude and he's working out the whole deal and he, he demands like all of his oil, I'm just like, I'm like, oh, is this a thing? Like, people just understand they automatically have to give something up because I don't think Kristen Wiig or um, I keep forgetting your character's name and I don't Barbara. want to call her Cheetah. Uh, Barbara, yeah. I don't think Barbara or Diana knowingly gave something up when they made their wish. So, like, why would these people who make their wishes have to knowingly give something up to Pedro, like, or Max Lord? Like, I just don't understand, like, why. I, like, you know, you know what I mean? Like, because when we first learn about the, when we first learn about this magic, like, this these rules aren't established whereas you know just to throw out a random example like aladdin like you know we kind of know the rules of the cave of wonders like as soon as we that is funny like, like a kid's or, movie that has like ostensibly the same MacGuffin is yeah. like explains itself way more clearly and efficiently yeah it's just like give me the rules up front so i understand and then i'll go there with you like if you give me the rules at the start of your movie like here here's the thing here's what you give up blah 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 you could take me anywhere, like, if we're having a good time, you know? So, like, I just feel like it isn't clearly established, and maybe it's because I watched it last night, and again, like, I was watching it at home, which I know we'll touch on in a second. But, yeah, you know, I mean, I'll say this for the movie. Just, it's really entertaining. It's a lot of fun. I think the first half of it's great. 
second half of it's blah. Like, I don't know. I just, I think it was just so goofy and scattered at the beginning, which, you know, was fun, but it just, the through lines don't work as well. Um, yeah. But so like, I have no issue with performances or anything like that. Yeah. So everybody, well, I, for the first performances, again, I really like Kristen Wiig up until like, she straight up becomes like Cheetah, which I guess is not great for the movie. If that's, uh, that was the other thing is like, I, I saw some, I don't, I don't want to say I'm the first to make this point, but it was like Cheetah is apparently a very big, villain in wonder woman lore and like becomes kind of secondary to max lord who probably gets way more too much time than he deserves and it's kind of weird because like you do have an actress that's pretty good like kristen wig doing something very interesting and then it's kind of like shrugged off a little bit in in a quick fight that isn't one of the better fights in the movie i would say uh so that's its own problem but like uh i i I guess i had high expectations for the maxwell lord character even if i didn't for the rest of it because i saw a couple people on twitter talk about how much they liked how he went for it and I don't know, like it's, I didn't connect with that character as much, and I, it's weird. Maybe it's just because I'm, I'm comparing it to other Pedro Pascal. Uh, more specifically, I'm just comparing it to him in Game of Thrones. In Game of Thrones, because uh, he, while we all like the Mandalorian, it's not exactly have asking a ton of him. I would say, and uh, he was. In, I actually liked him in Triple Frontier, and I don't really know if I've seen a lot of his other stuff. But in in Game of Thrones, he made like a huge impression in like a handful of episodes and is like incredibly charismatic. And I felt like I like connected more to that character in Game of Thrones, thought he accomplished more in like less proportional screen time than he did in this movie. And just like making that be like someone that really popped off the screen in a way that I don't really think he did here, even if he's getting a lot of attention and doing a lot of crazy stuff. And I get it. Like he's like a failing businessman that has it it really cares about what other people think and craves the approval of uh of just society at large and probably wants to impress his son on some level even if he is trying to avoid his son for a lot of it but probably because he's ashamed of the fact that he's a failure and i guess there is something interesting to have like a a villain in a comic book character that's more just driven by like wanting to succeed as a businessman as opposed to just like wanting to end the world just for the sake of ending the world uh i wish they introduced him to us as a father i think a way again like i i don't purport to be an expert or anything but like how how i would have framed this like just thinking about the movie is i probably would have introduced that character at a career day you know Mm. where he like gets up in the front of class and everybody recognizes him from the tv commercial you know like that you could have done that whole bit still and then uh then you could kind of like frame that or juxtapose it with what he actually like does and then like he Hmm. could be kind of seen as a failure by like the other parents or something like i don't know because, you know, we get him as, like, this, like, sort of chauvinist character with Kristen Wiig, and he's, like, the big wig on TV, and then all of a sudden, like, some investors yelling at him in front of his son kind of thing, you know? I And, like, the, the, the through line they want is with the son, you know? And it's like, well, give me more of the son. At the begin- like, I want to meet him as a father. You know what I mean? And, like, if that's going to be his thing, because he's the guy who goes through the big emotional change in this movie, then I need that. Um, yeah, it's it's kind it's kind of weird where there's like you're you're so clearly explaining a way in which it could have been handled better where it's like, but the fact is they still spend it feels like more time with him almost than with Diana. It's like if you're gonna do that, you yeah. need to like do it right. And my thing was like, you know, I, you can't help but think about some real world stuff if, as you're watching what where where his choices ultimately take this movie. And I mm-hmm. so you know it's funny I watched this on like I around New Year's Eve we're recording this though on like January 11th I think is it the 11th yes yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. Ten, we're recording this on January 10th so you can think about what happened in those 10 days if you're listening to this at some point uh, on 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 the week of January 11th 
But uh, so I watch it and I'm like thinking he starts granting all the people in the world their wishes. And this all happens in a very quick montage and uh, the world just starts going to shit. But this all happens in like 10 minutes where everyone gets their wish. It turns into something really crazy and he still wants to keep going. And it's like he's clearly like trying to like suck away people's like health and taking what matters to them most. And like wants to send this big broadcast out to everyone where you can like grant all the wishes at once and then therefore take like strength from some of these people because they and then help him because that's what he's losing with his deal with his wish and Mm -hmm. that's another thing you don't really ever see him valuing his health that much it's like does that really what matters to him most in the world i don't know uh but again they're they're depicting a very crazy awful version of the world and like and then resolving it all within 10 minutes and as i'm watching this i'm thinking of the fact that like hey a lot of the people that run our country that uh, make it a really bad place, uh, they it's, it's because they value their own uh, material wealth above all else. And they don't care about what bad that happens to anyone else, but they just want to make more money. They want to cut their taxes. They want to do this. They want to do that. And they don't – God forbid someone else should have health care. Someone else should uh, have child care. God forbid that this or that. As long as they have their money, they're fine. So I'm watching it, and I'm watching this character that is totally driven by all this these materialistic goals, and it's like he still keeps to, wanting to live in this world. And I'm thinking back to our election that we had in November and how we had a record – even though Joe Biden won the election, still Donald Trump received more votes than anyone in the history of the country did besides Joe Biden. So as mm-hmm. we are looking in like our country in this not really not great place objectively given everything we went through in 2020 and everything else we went through the three years before that, we still had a lot of people vote – for the status quo. And mm-hmm. I'm like, an interesting version of this movie would have been something that just like, in the context of a comic book movie, interrogated why people choose to go for the status quo, even if it looks so bad on the surface as it has in this country. And yeah. I thought about that and I was like, this movie doesn't really have an, as much of an interest in that as I would like, because I think the way to do that would be to like, I don't know, find some, this movie's so fucking long, find somewhere to cut like 20 more minutes off of it elsewhere. And then maybe like, what does that world look like where Max is doing that when it's like actually the world we're having to live in for like at least a not insignificant part of an act of the movie. Instead, it it just kind of resolves that terrible version of that. It just resolves that terrible version of that world and gets rid of it and gives Max his happy ending all within like 10 minutes. And it's like, I wanted to live in the world where he was in charge for like a little longer and then have Diana get us out of it or something and see why people were even willing to enable him and allow that to even go on. And I thought that would have been a more interesting way to handle just the ultimate conflict in this movie. I, and, and then, uh, and th- so I already thought that. And then that was my big takeaway right after I watched the movie. And then on uh, January 7th, I watched like uh, an insurrection almost happen in our country. And then like watched like, a not, insignificant, a not insignificant amount of our country's lawmakers be like, yeah, whatever. Like, I'm still going to like vote for the thing that drove this insurrection. And I was like, okay, now I feel yeah. even more strongly about this point of like why this movie should have like gone where it did. Did you have any other feelings on just exactly how the movie handled Max being at the peak of his powers and then like all of a sudden not being there? Like, what was your thought like watching it resolve like that? I, I, I get why how you you did a really good job of explaining like why didn't like set up Max as a character role in the first place. Was there a different way you would have liked to have seen the movie end? Yeah, there's an um, there's another thing too where to go off of what you were saying and all that. Like, I do think that the way that the reason people voted the way they did and then they like don't see this what happened in the capital this past week as a big mm-hmm. deal is because they're just so consumed in their own like little bubbles and stuff and you have this opportunity 
like, you know, in general where people are just so wrapped up in their own thing that they don't necessarily realize what's going on around them. So you almost could have had the wish fulfillment thing with everybody where everybody, I mean, you do get that on a personal level with Diana and with Barbara. Like they both get to enjoy their new powers a bit or their new situations a bit without many repercussions and stuff. And, um, and then uh, they can kind of, and then you can have this realization where they realize that the world is falling apart too. And then, uh, you know, I guess when you look at Max Lord's character, it's just he becomes like consumed with power, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm trying to remember the exact language of his initial conversation with his son because um, you can kind of see the Trump parallel there, where you know we have over 300 thousand people dead of covid and like all these people are at like the food bank backups and everything like that and trump is just more focused on holding on the power than anything else you know regardless of what he has power over which is a country that's just in a really bad place right now and you can kind of see how max lord gets like obsessed with the power in this thing and he just wants to be leader of the world even though the world is in chaos you know because like some man wished for a farm and now has like eight cows following him around Washington <laughs> dc you know <laughs> which was just you know one of my favorite little tiny books. I guess there's my shout out to it right there. But yeah. And uh, I guess I lose. Yeah. So I'd be curious to revisit that. Cause again, like if they tried to make it about just power and um, absolute power corrupts or whatever, and like you don't even care so much what you have control over as long as you have control. Like, I guess if they tried to go for that, it didn't make its way home to me. And I'm not sure if that's a failure of the movie or a failure of the venue, because again, like I am watching this like in my living room. So I've got to worry about neighbors and sirens out the window and my dog and, you know, like, you know, my wife was already asleep for tonight. So, um, but I'm sure if she had been watching it with me, there would have been stuff with, well, that, well, that's that so that you, you kind of went where I was going to talk to ask you about next anyway, because we already talked about Soul, which was kind of a big deal because this was like the first Pixar movie that people were going to not be watching in a theater. Uh, similarly, Wonder Woman 1984 got a got a theatrical release, but it was the first before HBO Max really made news by saying they were what they're going to just put all their 2021 movies. Uh, Warner was going to put all their 2021 movies on it right away, which they might have since walked back a little bit, and that might not happen quite to that same extent, especially if you get a vaccine. But even before they made that announcement, Wonder Woman 1984, they made the big announcement like, hey, we're putting this on Christmas, no strings attached. You can go watch it. You don't have to pay extra like we had to do for Mulan or any of that stuff. So we we both watched both of these movies that I think you and I, people that do like going to the movie theater, would have seen in a theater otherwise. So we, I'll, I'll ask you about Soul because that's probably a little more personal to you. But then on Wonder Woman 1984, though, we just talked about all these criticisms of the movie and all these things that we kind of picked apart on it. Do you think if you had seen it in a theater, how, how do you think you're feeling differently overall? Is it like all that stuff bothers you just as much, but like you're even more taken in by some of the other visual aspects of the movie and you just have a better overall vibe about it after you get out? Do you think it would have changed how you felt at all if you would just been able to see Wonder Woman 1984 in a crowded theater with a bunch of people that were really excited for it? Yeah, I think the highs would have been higher, certainly, because there is like – especially a movie like Wonder Woman 84 – is meant to be enjoyed with people and in the biggest, loudest, most impressive way possible. Like they flipped a truck in it and, you know, like that just isn't going to hit the same on, you know, 36 inches that it's going to hit in your local theater. Like, uh, you know, and then the thing with, I know the argument generally is, well, we watch our TV at home. Why can't you watch a movie at home? And I think it's just, 
I think you understand the movie better and you're able to absorb more when it's just the one thing, you know, and there isn't that distraction. Like, I think the theater is like one of the final places in our society where people just aren't staring at their phones. Uh, like, you know, that people have a collective experience together. And uh, like movies are very much designed to be like a, a one holistic experience. Like you go in, you get your story and then it's done, you know, whereas TV, it's a bit more broken up. You have different like, you know, I know a lot of movies work like this now, but like you have your different characters and different subplots and all that stuff. But a movie really is a cohesive whole, you know, and when you get in the theater, you go and you experience that thing fully and you fully understand the message and, and those successful ones anyway. And I think when you're at home and you're having to pause it or you get up, things like that, you know, you just, you lose something with that, you know, cause even like when you're in the theater, if you have to use the bathroom in the middle of a movie, you usually hold it or you sprint to the bathroom, you know, because yeah. And, you, and, uh, yeah, and, and yeah, when you're in, you're at home, you have no reason to make yourself uncomfortable like that, which I do. I do often. If I ever have to go, I have it down to a science. So I don't usually have to go to the bathroom that badly, but I will, right. I will usually hold it and make myself uncomfortable, which you just you know, you're not going to do that if you're at home. And then, right. then, then you break up the viewing experience inevitably. Yeah. And, uh, like, you know, I hate to sound like a purist or if there's like, any sort of other word you want to use for me being, you know, me waxing poetic about driving to a place and sitting in a room that isn't my house and to watch something. But, uh, you know, like it's meant to be enjoyed as one piece and, uh, and without any other distraction. And I think that ultimately the product's going to suffer for it. Um, and, uh, it's just a shame because, Wonder Woman 1984, like, again, like, I feel like I have a more positive view on it than a lot of people do. Um, but, you know, I, I'm sure I would have gotten a lot more out of it if I could have sat down and watched it in the way that um, Patty Jenkins intended for people to see it. Before I ask you about Soul, last thing I'll say is you mentioned, like, a truck flipping over. And I'll say on that stuff in the Middle East, it's like one thing where it's like, they they probably had something they wanted to say about like our economic policies and our Middle Eastern uh, all, all all the stuff you, America might have had going on in that part of the world in that place and time, and I think they probably like don't do themselves any favors by like making a lot of those characters there caricatures, and uh-huh. not great Bob, and yeah I so that's kind of like one thing where I think it hurt them and I think it's doubly sad because that that was like maybe the part of Diana's story that like was the most interesting to me and it gets lost in that because they handled everything around it so poorly aside from that action scene itself which I thought was like the most the most impressively constructed action scene itself with respect to like those trace all those the chases and the trucks and all that that was cool to watch and then it was also cool because to see her losing her powers and having to fight like when was the last time you saw a superhero movie where the superhero actually took a bullet and was affected yeah. by it yeah, exactly. It's it's one of the reasons why I love Indiana Jones, you know, like where he goes through all this stuff and then like he like can barely move, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, to see Diana like be having to be helped off of the road, you know, by by Steve there, like, you know, like moments like that matter. I think people value that, you know, like Luke Skywalker getting his hand chopped off. Spoiler alert, by the way, um, you know, it's that stuff matters to see because like, you know, at the without opening the Mandalorian can of worms about, you know, you know, what happened in the finale in case you haven't seen it. 
uh, you know, we need to see our character struggle, you know, and um, and stuff like that. So I, I was a fan of that. I I'm a big fan of that. You know, and you don't really see yeah. the Mandalorian struggle that much in the Mandalorian. He's 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 really good at what he does. I mean, it's still it's, yeah. it's still a fun show, and they they have they 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 have their their issues at times. But he's like he's like almost basically Superman within that show. So it's it's cool to watch Wonder Woman and see Wonder Woman actually like seeming a little more human than a lot of our superheroes often seem. Yeah. Uh, especially in, in maybe in, even in that corner of the MC, of the in that corner of the DC world, because like that's kind of the knock on Superman is he's almost less compelling than some of the others when there's so little that can like slow him down. You know, yeah, it's um, hard to make a good Superman. But yeah, movie. that was just I wanted. To, I just want to make sure I highlighted that corner of the movie beforehand before we finished up yeah. because like it was problematic, but like it probably had the single best sequence of the entire movie for me at least personally. So I was of two minds about it. Uh, before we finish up, like Soul. Because I meant to talk to you a little more about this in the sole part of the podcast. Uh, again, you're one of the biggest Pixar fans I know. Can you walk me through your emotions a little bit on like watching a Pixar movie on a smaller screen? Yeah, it's just I don't know. It's like one of those things where because I feel like let me, let me let me say because I feel like that movie maybe more so than like Wonder Woman. It's like a shaggy long ass movie. Wonder Woman is like that's gonna be easier to like second screen and do other stuff. Whereas I think you're probably more predisposed to be zoned into Soul and maybe not be quite as distracted by that stuff so maybe your experiences and what you're losing might be a little different with soul yeah i think especially like um you know this isn't to put down a superhero movie or anything like that but different people get different things out of those movies you know some people are like looking for a good story some people are just looking for like you know batman to do awesome stuff you know like you know not everybody's gonna have the same experience with it you know like and that's fine. Like those are those are designed that way. But um, at least with the way Pixar makes their movies, I think they sort of shoot for that same experience where you know you fully engage with the story, and then you have like the emotional reaction to it. And um, I guess in a setting where you're not able to fully concentrate on the movie, even though you try, like you know, I I had, like all the lights turned off, and like I had resolved that I wasn't gonna like pause it or anything like that. You mm-hmm. know, like I. I made the effort. I made the effort. And um, even then, it just, um, I don't know. There was just, you know, I had my dog doing Uh stuff. And, you know, know, it's just, it's, it was, you know, it was difficult. And, like, you know, it's very, very first world problem. And I don't, I don't purport to say there's any amount of suffering associated with this at all. No way. Like, that, don't get me wrong on that. But, uh, yeah, you know, I just think there's certain, like, elements of the way we view movies that need to, stay alive in some capacity like with the theater experience um so yeah it was a bummer because like my first theater experience was a uh, toy story you know and uh like so i just have long or the lot i have long you know it's been a tradition in my life to go see pixar in the theater and uh like to miss out on that was just kind of a bummer so um gotcha. so i hope there is a way that that comes back um once the vaccine is distributed and we sort of find the new normal post uh, COVID and all that. I agree with that sentiment. Uh, Joe, before we fin- finish up, any other final thoughts on Wonder Woman? Uh, it's a ton of fun. Uh, if for some reason you haven't seen it, um, I watch it, you know, it's on HBO max for like two more weeks before it disappears. It's fun. You know, and guess what? Like if it stinks, just watch something else. It's on <laughs> streaming service, you know, like <laughs> just fire up one of the other DC movies oh. on there. Like, uh, 
the, yeah. yeah, well, I'm giving you the homework of watching Shazam because I think I think you'll enjoy it, and you'll have to, you'll have to report back to us. Uh, yeah. Before we sign off, any anything else you want to recommend that you watched over the holidays that you really enjoyed? We're running long, but I'm, I'm kind of curious. I'm guessing you did watch some stuff over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, um, my wife Caroline and I, we started Sopranos, actually. Um, ah. We've never seen The Sopranos before. So um, that's been pretty interesting. We we finished the first season um, a few days ago, and we started on the second one. And it's funny, it's like a show that I've heard a ton of conversation about. I'm aware of the controversial ending already. But yeah. uh, with all that said, you know, it's um, I don't, I've don't i only ever seen James Gandolfini like, in movies before. So like to see him do his thing as Tony is pretty interesting. So, um, it's pretty funny. Yeah, uh, I'm going to recommend <laughs> recommend one of the most famous tv shows of all time no it's good you're not you're not even <laughs> yeah. the first maya did the same thing a few months ago our uh who joe's now met and done a podcast with like my friend maya discovered sopranos for the first time herself and i i, I swore at that point that i was going to try and do my own rewatch because i've only ever watched it once before and it's been probably six or seven years at this point and uh david chase is doing his own prequel movie to it that's also kind of caught up in this whole hbo max business where he famously always wanted to make movies then got stuck making one of the greatest television shows of all time and was grumpy about it and then he's finally got a chance to like make a sopranos movie and now it's like it just might go straight to hbo max but i want to watch the sopranos again before that comes out so that's a great recommendation and highly recommend anyone that has hbo max go ahead and do that uh I'll recommend uh, – I'm kind of going back and rewatching a lot of the the MCU right now, which I've never really done in order before necessarily, I um, and I'm doing it because they're doing the Binge Mode podcast on it right now. So I, I watched uh, Captain America, the first Avenger for the first time in like six years yesterday, um, and I really enjoyed it even more than I remembered it. It's uh, – I, I, as I kind of talked about it with my friend uh, – with my friend Hannah when we were uh, talking about, or I don't know. Oh yeah. I think in a yet to be heard episode on Nomadland, I was discussing with her just, you know, talking about Chloe Zhao going on to do a Marvel movie and how we think it might feel different. And a lot, I, I can't argue with people that think that like a lot of these movies might feel like the same on Marvel movies, even if I enjoy them all, like a lot of the action might feel the same kind of in how they do in DC movies. And it was really cool. Like more so than I remember going back and watching Captain America, the first Avenger and just seeing transport a lot of these, uh, the, this, the skill of, the people behind these movies doing it in the setting of world war ii it was it was cool it was something very different to look at visually from your regular world war ii movie but still has that aesthetic and has like cool fight scenes and stuff and i that was what jumped out to me but it also had some very emotional moments that like at the end that even though you know that steve is going to obviously make it out of that movie it like was almost more affecting to me than like the end of infinity war which i'm notably not like that high on so i recommend if people are like want to go back and like watch old mcu movies i think that one holds up very well so all right joe before we sign off anything you want to plug do you want to plug your twitter account or you want to be a blank slate or anything like that i guess in a public forum i'll say um i am looking forward to the jaguars drafting trevor lawrence i have suffered for a long time and uh i thought you were, say you're, I thought, I thought you were just gonna say you're looking forward to jaguars head coach urban meyer Hey, uh, I'm on board for it. It's, uh, you know, I just I just want to win. John. I'm, I'm tired. I'm hey, tired I, hey I, 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 I'd rather be you right now, actually, than an Eagles fan. And maybe I would regret saying that because, like, the Jaguars are historically a little cursed. But the Eagles are in, like, way worse shape right now. And, like, the Jags, you know, you have the, the prospect of Trevor Lawrence and a probably better cap situation than the Eagles. So, uh, yeah, if you want to hear look at me complaining about the Eagles, but also, you know, all my <laughs> other thoughts. Uh, Twitter, it's at Josh Renovoy, J-O-S-H-J-U-R-N-O-V-O-Y. Same thing on Letterboxd. Uh, podcast email is the Rewind moviepod at gmail.com twitter is at rewind movie pod so you can hit us up there uh we have a few movies we're going to be trying to talk about in the next few weeks so whether it be uh promising young woman or pieces of a woman or uh, one night miami so uh everyone stay tuned for all that thanks again to joe for joining me and we'll see you next time